0: Thank you, Ben. Hello, everybody. Isn't it such fun to be together online today? Um, If we've not met yet, let me just do a brief introduction. I'm James, and I'm married to Lucy. And we've got two children, Joshua and Florrie. And we've recently moved up to Newcastle from Sheffield, which is is the north, but now we're really in the north. And um, we are having such a good time. It's a little bit chilly here. Um, so I've gotten used to wearing two coats, and um, I've been googling some thermal socks. Um, so if you've got like a, if you're like you've been around for a while in this church, or maybe in Newcastle, and you've got some recommendations for thermal socks, we're all ears because we're definitely in the market for some. Um, as Ben has so wonderfully introduced today, we are looking at Jonah. This is the last of our four looks at Jonah. And we've been thinking about this Bible story and how it can be applied to our lives, particularly here in the northeast of England. So Lee kicked us off. He got us thinking about calling, how we're called to the city. And Brogan, he had the part of the story where, which most of us might be familiar with, if you've, used the, if you've read the Bible at all, um, or maybe as a child you've heard the stories, where Jonah ends up in the belly of a fish. And Brogan painted that picture of it it's in some of these difficult situations where we're formed into the purposes God has for us. We're being made into something that is useful to God to to accomplish his works. And then Ben last week shared about how we share that good news with the city. And it really is good news that Jesus died for us. And today we're thinking about God's compassion for the city. Now, if you've got questions as this talk is going on, um, if you want to put them in the chat below this video, and as a as a team we can see those. So on the screen just to my side, we can see those coming in. And and at the end of our time together today, we like to get a cup of coffee. Um, we we sit back in our chairs and we and we just we talk about those questions together. So if you've got anything that you'd like to talk about out today, you can write them in the chat, and we'd love to. Um, We'd love to see those, so do, do make the most of that. Let me read from the Bible now. I'm gonna start where Ben left off in verse 10. When God saw that they, what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, team. So let's recap the story again, because then this is the last of our look at Jonah. And so if you've just joined us this week, a big hello to you. Let me just recap quickly where we're at in the story. A word from God has come to Jonah, calling him to go to this center, Nineveh, which is the center of a pretty fierce empire called Assyria. And he disobeyed and he fled in the opposite direction, as far away as he could possibly go. And the Assyrians are not part of the nation of Israel. And so outside of what Jonah thinks of as God's chosen people, blessed by God, chosen to be with him forever, sometimes the Bible will describe those people as outside of God's chosen people as pagans. And we hear that word in this story. And this kind of extreme reaction from Jonah of just running away has become typical throughout the story, almost for every extreme reaction Jonah has, there is an extreme turnaround moment, what the Bible calls repentance, a 180 degree turning away from our own way of living for ourselves and our selfish desires and turning to God's way and submitting to his will, our mind, our heart and our actions to his purposes for our lives. But Jonah is often last to repent in trying to avoid speaking the word that God had given him to these pagans, people outside of the family of God. Time and time again, he keeps encountering these people and they meet with God, a God who loves them. On the boat that Lee talked about, it was the sailors there, they saw Jonah and they got to meet with God. And as Ben shared last week, we find as Jonah shared one of the simplest of sermons, eight words in English that said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. A very short sermon, to his surprise, they did. They turned to God, they turned from their wicked ways. And now when I've been reading this story, and I've been reading it with my three-year-old Joshua, and um, to my surprise, I've been shocked to discover in his children's Bible, they miss out what happens next in the story. In his Bible, in his version at least, the Ninevites, they turn to God after Jonah turns up and finally obeys and they live happily ever after. But that isn't the ending that we have here in our Bible reading today. Chapter four is this bizarre twist in the story where Jonah's finally obeyed God, he's gone to the city and he gets really angry that God has forgiven his enemies. Something that Jesus teaches a lot about And so God asks a question to Jonah, is your anger justified? And the question is left hanging right at the end of chapter four. And so we're brought into the story really as we think, how do we answer that question? So let's work through the story and see what we get to today. Verse one, Jonah is furious and he begins to vent. And so like a psalmist, he begins to pour out this prayer to God. It spills out of his mouth. He prays, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were like this. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so Jonah finally lays his cards on the table. He knew this was the kind of thing God would do. He called it right away at the very start in chapter one, and he did not want to be part of it at all. In Jonah's worldview, salvation was for a very narrow set of people, people like him, people part of his nation in Israel. And as this invitation is being widened, as was the purposes of God right from the very beginning anyway in Genesis 12, when this promise is talked about to Abraham and the covenant is initially established, it was always supposed to be for that nation and the nations. But as this thing is being widened out to this group of people, Jonah anticipates God is gonna be compassionate and he hates that he is gonna be part of it. And the team have consistently highlighted over these last three weeks together. Jonah couldn't stomach these people meeting God. But we know the gospel is not about making bad people good. That's not the part of this story. Ravi Zacchaeus, an evangelist, a great thinker in the Christian faith who recently passed away, he had this phrase, the gospel is not about making bad people good, but about making dead people alive. It includes us. It includes Jonah and it includes the Ninevites. And Jonah as a fierce nationalist admits, I want nothing to do with this. We're gonna look at Jonah's extreme reaction in a moment because he says he wants to die. But let's look together at verse two just in a bit more detail, because to some of us, these words will be maybe quite familiar. They're repeated about 12 times throughout the Old Testament. We first see them in Exodus 34 when Moses receives the 10 commandments. You might be familiar with some of those laws. Do not have any gods but me. You shall not make idols. Images or statues that we might worship the wrong thing. Brogan talked a little bit about idolatry when we looked at chapter two. And when Moses first received these laws up on the mountain, he came down. To his surprise, he found the Israelites making this golden calf and participating in some fertility ritual. And so God was gonna judge the people and Moses interceded on their behalf. And God relented. As they repented, God relented, just like in chapter three. And so there and then, he renewed his covenant with his nation, Israel. And so Moses asks the question, who is this God? And he replies, I'm the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. In other words, Israel exists as a people because God is like this. And the irony is Jonah doesn't see that he exists only because God is like this in the first place. So Jonah's complaining. He's throwing God's own words back in his face. I knew you were like this. You've always been like this right from day one. That's why I ran away. So we might have the question, why is Jonah getting mad? Because God's being so nice. It's how wide God's compassion is that's so offensive to Jonah. He thinks it's okay that you've saved me, God. It's okay when I turn to you and repent, but you can't save them when they do it. They don't deserve it. But this is how God is. This is how he has always been, and this is how he is today. God loves us. God loves his enemies. The difficulty comes though, when we some, you know, have to wrestle with the question, do we have to do this as well? I don't know if you've seen on the internet this week, a viral video going round of, of Hanforth Parish Council. The chair, Brian Tolver and vice chair, Alid's iPad, have a uh, conflict with Jackie Weaver. Now I, I've struggled to think about who's my enemy. Um, when I've been preparing this short talk, but in that short YouTube video, you will clearly see that they are enemies of one another, but they too can know the forgiveness of Jesus and reconciliation. I was gonna maybe use that as an illustration, but I don't quite know how, but I have prepared a second story. This is of a, um, a story of a lady called Maureen Greaves, who we knew back in Sheffield. Um, In fact, Brogan was still in Sheffield when this happened. Um, And if you Google her name, Maureen Greaves, you'll be led to an article on the internet called Why I Decided to Forgive My Husband's Killers. And I'm gonna use some of the extracts from that story that she gave. And my friend Mark first told me about Maureen. He used to be her boss. Maureen is a church army evangelist, and church army is an evangelistic arm of the Church of England. And um, Maureen is an inspiring lady. And so I'm going to tell her story now. Two strangers attacked and killed her husband, Alan, back in 2012. And Alan was heading towards church that evening. It was Christmas Eve. He was going to play the organ at a carol service. And Maureen had been due to lead prayers at the Christmas Day service at her church the following day. And as she sat with Alan in hospital but two days before he died, to some, a line from the Lord's Prayer came to her quite forcefully. It said, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And when Maureen first became a Christian at at, at age 18, she had been captivated by Jesus and his love for her. And she had realized there and then that Jesus had paid the penalty for the sins, not just of her sins, but of the whole world. And she had no doubt about his forgiveness. She knew it was pure, clean, and almighty. And it meant that she could go to heaven and be with him forever one day when she died. She thought, I cannot not offer these strangers forgiveness for what they have done. So she simply prayed, Heavenly Father, will you please give me grace to fully forgive who has done this to Alan, both now and in the future. I don't want them weighing on my mind when I go to bed. I don't want to talk about them in any way that is ugly or derogatory. You will deal with them with your justice, your mercy and love. Perhaps someone from the team can put the words from Romans 12 up on the live chat. I'd love you to follow along with these verses as I'm reading Maureen's story. It came to mind as I was reading this testimony. Two days later, Alan died. And what is astounding about this story is that Maureen has always publicly forgave these two men. The first time Maureen brought herself to walk down her street to the spot where Alan was attacked, she found that the locals were full of anger and foul words over what had happened. Yet in the face of their well-meaning support, she was able to explain what God had done in her heart. I told them that I had entrusted the attackers to God's mercy and justice. She's been asked, does she ever struggle with feelings of hurt and anger? I had real faith that the criminals remained in God's hands, she said. I was very conscious that I needed to stay close to God. The police identified the killers and Maureen saw them and their families in the Sheffield Magistrates Court for the trial. I found it quite startling and upsetting. These two men looked over at their families and one of them had tears in his eyes. I felt so thankful in that moment that I had forgiven them. I didn't feel any hatred towards them. And by the grace of God, I was able to have a quiet chat with their mothers and tell them that I was praying for their sons. After the sentencing, Maureen made a public statement outside the court. She said, Alan was a man who was driven by love and compassion and he would not want any of us to hold on to feelings of hate or unforgiveness. My prayer is for these young men that they will come to understand and experience the love and kindness of God who has made them in his own image and that God's mercy will inspire both of them to true repentance. Isn't that astounding? doesn't that just ring of Jesus and of the cross? I we'll explore that a little bit more in a moment as we consider some of Jesus's teachings of loving our enemies. But here is a faithful woman of Christ, though it is difficult, is entrusting God to love these people and to love them into repentance. How is, going, how is God gonna help Jonah see the heart of the problem here in Jonah's sort of divided heart, as one commenter put it. God is going to try three times to explain to Jonah his grace. Verse four, he he starts with a question, is it right that you are angry? In other words, he says, let's talk about this, Jonah. And Jonah, in verse five, gives him the cold shoulder. He doesn't reply, he just walks away out of the city, makes a shelter, sets up camp, and waits. And he wants fire from heaven to rain down on the Ninevites. He waits probably for 40 days, as was his short sermon. And so God's initial question didn't work. And so he provides three things in quick succession, verse six, seven, and eight. He provides a leafy plant, which he loves. And then he provides a tiny worm and a scorching wind, which he does not love. This I was talking with Lucy about um, preparing this talk this week, and she said, that reminds us of when we provide three meals for our three-year-old, and his mood swing can just swing from um, option to option. We're exploring big emotions in our house at the moment. Funniest thing happened last night. He was a bit angry about going to bed, and then all of a sudden, just like that, his mood changed. Like, he just was going from like, I don't want to go to bed, and he was just like, oh, and we were like, Joshua, what's happened? And he just went, oh, my anger is gone. And we were like, where's it gone? And he went, it's in my pocket. Um, there you go, a three-year-old. As I'm reading the story of Jonah, I'm just noticing his mood shift a little bit like my three-year-olds. And these things that the Lord is providing, the leafy plant, the worm, and the scorching winks, the same word used that God said when he provided the fish for Jonah in chapter 1. And so after these three things, God asks the question again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. Jonah loved the plant. It was the first time it is... It's a little bit bigger than this plant. But it was the first time in the story that he'd been happy about anything. And it was the first time in the story that he had shown compassion for something or somebody other than himself. All the way through the book of Jonah, it's the pagans that have shown compassion for things other than themselves. In chapter one, it happens twice. The sailors have compassion for those in the boat. Then they have compassion on Jonah when they throw him into the waves. And it was the king in Nineveh who had compassion on all his people as he led the city into repentance. And now Jonah has compassion over a plant. Consistently throughout the book of Jonah, He is the one who has had the hardest heart. And though his emotions may be in flux and they may change verse upon verse, God's character does not change. It can't change. Remember verse two. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents, from sending calamity. And so God is gentle and compassionate with Jonah. He's persistent with him and he wants to teach him this lesson. God is like, Jonah, it's good you've got a soft spot for this plant. You've attached a lot of significance to this plant. You love this plant. Don't you think it would be good to, if I cared for something other than myself? And what if that something was somebody that's more significant than a plant? What if it was 120,000 people in Nineveh who are made in my image? Jonah, would it be so bad if I cared for them and the cows? And that's the last line of the story. And it's given there to sort of make us laugh. Even the cows, Jonah, wouldn't it be good if I cared for them too? And because in chapter three, even the cows repented in sackcloth and ashes. And so this question hangs, wouldn't it be good if I cared for them? And we all want to know, how did Jonah respond to that question? But to want that is to miss the point of the story. Because this book wasn't really about Jonah. Who was this book about? It was about you and I. As that question hangs, we're invited to answer it. The real question is, how are we living in response to God's question? Is it okay that I care for people other than you? Do I care for people other than myself? I can understand that God might want to love my enemy because they're made in his image, but should I have compassion too? And Jonah is this caricature of us all who fail to grasp from time to time the wideness of God's grace in that God loves our enemies as much, as, as, in as much as he loves me. And when that sinks in, that God loves people other than me, especially when someone hurts us, this story of Jonah packs a huge punch. If we're struggling with any feeling of unforgiveness today, or any feeling of superiority, we must remember God loves those people we have ill feelings towards. Jonah thinks of the Ninevites as the most awful people to walk the planet. But Jonah is the one who is shown to have the hardest of hearts. And so God is gently trying to help Jonah see this issue. This is one of the core messages of the Christian faith, of the gospel of grace, of the cross. And this is what Jesus talked about from time to time. In fact, all the time, Matthew five, he says, we are called, you've heard it said, to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who mistreat you. St. Paul says in Romans 12, Bless those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse them. Do not repay anybody evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. So this cycle of paying wrong for wrongs stops at the cross of Jesus. The cross is the image that reminds us, as Timothy Keller said, it's the image that we are more sinful than we dared believe and we are more loved than we would ever dare to hope. And we are this community that is forming around the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I. We, in our weakness, embrace this value of loving enemies. And when we treat, we can treat other people this way because this is the way that God has treated us. And this idea of the bad guy in the story of Jonah, it was pinned at first on the Ninevites and then it is subtly moved to Jonah but actually it falls at the feet of you and I. We are our enemies of God when we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and gone astray. We've all gone our own way and only by repentance, only by turning to Jesus and saying, I won't live my own way anymore. I won't live a life with me at the center of it, Jesus. Help me care for other people. Help me to put you at the center of my life. Help me to love people the way that you have loved me. Only when we form as a community around the cross in this way do we realize that we come alive in Jesus' name. God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin. It is by grace that we have been saved. And so, as the saying goes, the ground is level at the cross. Every human, no matter what their ethnicity, should be given the opportunity to respond to this gospel message of mercy and of grace. Every human if we would regard them as an enemy or if they're someone who has hurt us, can receive the forgiveness of God. We can't do it, but he can. Like Maureen in the earlier story, as we pray, God, forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of those who sin against us. We ask for strength, Lord, that you would help us to forgive those who've wronged us. Unforgiveness is too heavy a burden to bear. Freely we have received, so freely we can give forgiveness. And so it goes as we've explored this theme over the last four weeks of loving Newcastle. Can we do it in our own strength? No, but God has so loved us that he gave us his son and we can love Newcastle because God loved us first. And as we model our community around the person of Jesus, our love is not self-seeking, it's not self-promoting, but it's a self-giving love, a sacrificial love. We're gonna worship Jesus together now. And as we do, I invite his Holy Spirit to come and speak to you. And as a team, we'll begin to pray.